Lord. All right. Um, let's see. Uh, Leslie, would you mind giving our, our opening prayer? If not, that's totally fine too. I think I just throw it out there. You're muted. Sorry. It's still muted. That's all. It's totally fine. I'll, I'll go ahead and offer it. <laughs> we'll catch up on the website. Our dear Heavenly Father, we're grateful for all of our many blessings and grateful for this opportunity to study together as a, a group tonight. We're so grateful for Isaiah and, and the, the prophet that he was in order to um, prophesy of our time and, and help us to, to understand thy plan for us. We're so grateful for the opportunity to be born in these end times and to, to fulfill our missions here on this earth. We're grateful for uh, our Lord and Savior, uh, Jesus Christ, and all that he has done for us in uh, enacting this plan of salvation and, and bringing about the, the great and marvelous blessings here in this restoration. We pray that we may have thy spirit with us as we study tonight, that we may understand and comprehend how these words of Isaiah, these prophecies, uh, apply to, to our day and, and how we might uh, better ourselves and uh, minister to others more fully because of them. We're so grateful, Father, for all that thou hast blessed us with, and we say these things humbly in the name of thy Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right. <clears throat> so, um, studying uh, King Ahaz tonight is has been uh, quite eye-opening. Group A was, was fun to, to kind of go through. We read... Uh, chapter six in depth and then uh, chapter seven just kind of a brief overview um so i kind of wanted to uh, briefly read six and seven tonight and then actually dive into to chapter eight pretty deep um so let me bring up actually before i do that i forget um let me bring up some slides to kind of help us um get oriented here um as you know, I'm a, a charts person. That's how I, I study best. Um, so as I was going through this section, uh, here's kind of the, some of the stuff that I was putting together. So um, the second part of the bifid structure is the rebellion and compliance, which builds heavily upon the, the foundations that we did the past couple of weeks with ruin and rebirth. So this week, instead of generalities, um, Isaiah is pulling two key figures out and showing the, the rebellion and the compliance that can lead to ruin or rebirth. And so we have the story this week of King Ahaz, and we'll study King Hezekiah's experience next week. Um, but Ahaz is a rebellious old figure. And so we have this, this overarching chiasm of the rebellion and compliance. And um, we see that it begins and ends with a prophetic commission of Isaiah in chapter 6 and chapter 40. Then, uh, as we're working through that, that chiastic structure, we have a historical preface. Then we have the king's rebellion or compliance, and which leads to the apex of the, the whole thing, where because of the king's rebellion or compliance, it, it is directly related to the people's rebellion or compliance against Jehovah. And so here's just kind of a, a map to kind of take a look at things. Uh, he throws out lots of different leaders, names, and uh, things here in, in the King Ahaz story. And so we have Ahaz, who is the king of Judah, which is the southern tribe. So remember after uh, Saul, David, Solomon, that the kingdom split northern tribes and southern tribes. We have Ahaz in the south and Pekah in the north. And... Um, Pekah in, in Samaria there in the north, he is in uh, cahoots with Rezin, uh, Syria, or the, the capital city of Damascus. They're just above Israel uh, at that time. And so those two are in cahoots to, to overthrow Ahaz in the southern tribes. But there's an overarching threat um, in the, the country of Assyria up north, up in Nineveh, um, with Tiglath-Pileser, that is taking over everything. 
and so we have this story where Ahaz is making a son's servant Davidic covenant with Tiglath, etc., in order to overthrow the others. But we have these four main rulers, these four main countries or areas um, that we're focusing in with the, the King Ahaz story. Um, so diving in, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 6, uh, right off the bat. And again, let me share the screen. All right, so again, I'm going to be using the Isaiah Explained website so that we can take a look at the King James versus the Isaiah Institute translation. Um, so there's not very many verses, so I'm just going to go ahead and read chapter six and then we'll discuss it. It says that in the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw my Lord seated on a throne highly exalted, the skirt of his robe filling the sanctuary. Seraphs stood by him overhead, each having six wings. With two, they could veil their presence, with two, conceal their location, and with two, fly about. They called out one to another and said, Most holy is Jehovah of hosts. The consummation of all the earth is his glory. The threshold shook to its foundation at the sound of those who called, and a mist filled the temple. Then I thought, woe is me, I have been struck dumb, for I am a man of unclean speech, and I live among a people of unclean speech. I have seen the king Jehovah of hosts with mine own eyes. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, carrying an ember, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. Touching it to my mouth, he said, see, this has touched your lips, your sins are taken away, your transgressions atoned for. Then I heard the voice of my Lord saying, whom shall I send, who will go for us? And I replied, here am I, send me. And he said, go and say to these people, go on hearing, but not understanding. Go on seeing, but not perceiving. Make the heart of these people grow fat, dull their ears and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Understand in the heart and repent and be healed. And I replied, for how long, my Lord? And he said, until the cities lie desolate and without inhabitant, the houses without a man in the land ravaged to ruin. For Jehovah will drive men away and great sh shall be the exodus from the centers of the land. And while yet a tenth of the people remain in it or return, they shall be burned. But like the terebinth or the oak, when it is felled, whose stump remains alive, so shall the holy offering be what is left standing. All right, so what do we got there? There's a lot of, a lot of stuff if we're not <laughs> focused in on Isaiah. There's uh, lots of foreign words and uh, themes and patterns, etc. But what is happening here? Isaiah and in his his vision of of Jehovah what what does this mean for us well Isaiah just got his uh calling and election and his remission of sins things like that you know that's kind of cool yeah yeah we can kind of see that pattern and uh look forward to that day when it happens for us too right mm -hmm. Um, uh, you know, we talked about it at length in, in our uh, first group and stuff, but uh, it's very interesting uh, that we have these, these seraphim with six wings, right? We have the, the two wings that, um, that they could veil their presence, the two that could conceal their location, and then with two fly about. And we, we did kind of a word search on, on wings and, and looked through uh, the book of Isaiah there. Um, but it's interesting, whenever wings is repeated throughout the, uh, the book of Isaiah, uh, it kind of brings uh, one of those different connotations that, that it introduces there. Uh, sometimes they're concealing their location, sometimes they're hiding their identity, and sometimes they're, they're moving about, uh, especially looking at uh, Isaiah chapter 40, when um, they, it rises as on eagle's wings. Uh, I think that that's a, a fun study to do. Well, the other thing that I would like to point out is the fact that uh, once he received his blessing, but I don't think it was after he received his blessing that he thought of it, but he volunteered to go work. He volunteered to serve the Lord. Uh, the Lord says, I have a task. And he said, here am I, send me. Uh, mm -hmm. I think he had it in his heart to serve the Lord anyway. Mm -hmm. And he didn't feel worthy. He was kind of holding back because he didn't feel worthy, but he wanted to. So when he was purified, then he felt like he was good enough to at least speak up. 
and the Lord gave him something to do. Yeah, exactly. I think that that's huge there. Um, so do you think that the Lord uh, laid out the plan and then asked for a volunteer? Or do you think that it was kind of the, the opposite where it's like, okay, I'm going to need a volunteer and then I'm going to let you know what you're going to do. <laughs> I think that's usually the case. That's the way the Lord <laughs> operates. At least it does in my life. And so, yeah, I think that's what's going on there. And that, that is something for us to contemplate. You know, uh, we had some visitors here over the weekend and uh, they were telling me about how how they were blessed and how um, they wanted some things out of life. And I said, well, the best way to get things from the Lord is to find out what it is the thing you want can do for him. And then you say, I want to service you. I want to provide some service for you. Do you think you can give me X, Y, or Z so I can do that? Now, I know that sounds a lot like a, uh, uh, one of those, uh, those gifts that you, you give yourself, you know, but mm -hmm. the whole idea is the Lord is willing to give us all kinds of stuff as long as we ask for it and that we are asking for it for a reason that would glorify him. So yeah. that's, you know, uh, the gift of speech, the gift of tongues, the gift of uh, understanding, the gift of uh, comprehension or administration, all of those gifts, spiritual gifts, the Lord will give you if you ask for it and then do some service for him. Mm -hmm. And then after the service is done, he doesn't require an extended period of time. Then you have the experience and the gift. Yeah, I, I find that very much so, uh, you know, as especially with a bird's eye view of my life and, and everything, I can, can see those things out clearly. Uh, sometimes in, in the moment, um, I want things and, and I do want them for uh, so that I can bless other people. But um, sometimes it's a very myopic uh, point of view, especially the prayers, you know, like, please bless me with this. But until... Um, uh, a certain level of humility is reached and and like okay i'm going to i promise to do this with it if if thou wilt bless me uh, i resonate a lot with that right um, well, and i think mm -hmm. he wants us to oh can you hear me yep yeah okay i think he wants us to be co-creators with him create our own lives and really be the ones to decide Decide what we want to do and how we want to serve him and he honors that and in my life I've noticed that um if I have a desire then he um pretty quickly gives me the opportunity to develop that um ability or um chance to you know serve him in that way mm -hmm. yeah very interesting uh today in in elders quorum uh, we were talking about Elder Oaks's Constitution talk, and um, I posed the question, why didn't the Lord just create the Constitution in full, like all of its Bill of Rights, all the amendments that it's needed, uh, why did he not just give it all out right at the beginning? And, you know, that brought about lots of good discussion of, well, uh, that same principle that you're talking about. He wants us to kind of be co-creators with him. Uh, he wants us to have a, a vested part in uh, the, the creation of some things. Uh, even especially our own lives, right? You know, um, with gifts and talents and, and all of that. Uh, some of those things only come by by trial and error, by experiencing the bad in order to to reap the the good and the benefits and stuff. And those are, are yeah. very true principles. Um, let's see. And then um, we also talked about how the. Um, how when the seraph touches his lips with uh, that, that ember from off the altar, uh, how that's the um, uh, cleansing of the mouth right, or, or what was it, purifying of the mouth right. Um, in Avraham's commentary, he talks a lot about that, how uh, the, the Egyptians in their temple ceremonies would perform that same rite, and it was both spiritual and physical, kind of repeated two times. Uh, the cleansing of the eyes, the ears, the legs and feet, etc., in order that they might perform their proper functions and and carry forth the, the will of the Lord. And uh, anyway, we talked uh, in Group A about all of uh, 
this chapter six and how it's kind of our initiatory and um, how our initiatory prepares us for our, our callings and elections and, and this kind of thing. Anyway, it's kind of fun. Um, cool. So let's go to chapter seven. Sorry, I meant to share a screen and then push the wrong button. <laughs> Cameron, before you move on, I was just wondering, the very first verse there in six uh -huh. talks about he's seeing the Lord and it says the skirt of his robe. Um, that's so interesting. And, and like you said, that phrase there has to do with posterity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the Hebrew words, anytime it's mentioning a skirt or um, the, the train of a robe, it's talking about posterity. And so... Does that go along with our initiatory as well? You know, the blessings that we receive there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very well, good. So anyway, I just, I just think that's interesting that it put that phrase in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's all we got. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Just but, yeah, I would say that uh, six verse one is a very definite. Um, nod to the fact that, that Christ had posterity um, and yeah, being highly exalted uh, being the, the key word there. Oh. Fulfilling yeah. all righteousness. Oh yeah, cool. So Cameron, before we leave chapter yeah, six, for sure. um, in verse 13, um, it's really interesting because he said, um, well, let me read Abraham's version. <laughs> I've got so, so many different versions here, right? I know sometimes it can kind of get overwhelming. Yeah, I, I do that too. And while yet a tenth of the people remain in it or return, they shall be burned. So a tenth of the people. So that is a tenth of the population. Think about how many people that's going to be left. And then he goes on and talks um, about, but like the terebrinth or the oak when it is felled whose stump remains alive so shall the ho holy offspring be what is left standing and Abraham talks about what that holy offspring is and it's basically um, the way the Israelites worked is they they paid their tenth to the Levites and the Levites took a tenth of their tenth and paid that as their holy offering to the priests right so it's a tenth of a tenth. That's one percent. <laughs> so think about those numbers. One percent will be the righteous stump that remains alive. So a tenth, ten percent of the people are the ones who won't be burned at you know during all these tribulations, and a tenth of those is who's going to basically be, be Zion. Mm -hmm. So well, run, some, run some of those numbers in your head. <laughs> yeah, I remember um, when President Nelson was on his worldwide tour, I think it was his Brazil interview um, with Stevenson or something. I don't know. I forget exactly which one, but um, he said that when the Lord comes, I mean, there's, there's just uh, the membership won't be the entire world kind of thing as sometimes we kind of perpetuate that idea. Um, but it, the church will be relatively small when, when he comes and stuff because of the, uh, the winnowing out and everything. Uh, I thought that was so interesting when he said it, because it was like, Oh, Oh, okay. Uh, you know, like our missionary efforts aren't going to, to turn the whole world into this, this great Zion before he comes um, that, there has to be that great burning before. Anyway, I don't know. It was new to me. <laughs> it shows okay. how, how unlearned I am. I think in the church, a lot of times we hear so much about the parable of the 10 virgins and we mm -hmm. keep thinking, okay, well, I got 50% chance. 50%. Yeah. yeah okay. 50%. <laughs> and people don't understand because in the King James translation, it doesn't talk about that. It just says the Holy Seed right? The holy seed shall be the substance thereof. And the holy seed, what's the holy seed? But if you understand um, the Hebrew and understand what they meant 
and how that applied, then that would be that, you know, like Avraham teaches and that helps you to understand that's only 1%. Now, there are what, 6 billion people in the world right now and some change. Mm -hmm. So 1% of that is still 60 million people. That's still a lot of people, mm -hmm. right? Um, but that is, uh, it's a whole heck of a lot less <laughs> than what we have right now. <laughs> yep, exactly. All right. Yeah, so anything else on, on chapter six before we switch gears? <clears throat> so here's where we really get into the, the meat of uh, King Ahaz. Uh, Mother, would you read like 13 verses? Sure. <clears throat> when Ahaz, son of Joth Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, Rezan king of Aram and Pekah son of Remaliah king of Israel came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it but could not overpower it. And when the house of David was informed that Aram was leading Ephraim on the king's mind and the minds of his people were shaken as trees in a forest are shaken by a gale. Then Jehovah said to Isaiah, go out and meet Ahaz, you and your son Shir Jazab, at the end of the aqueduct of the upper reservoir on the road to the laundry plaza. Say to him, see to it that you remain calm and unafraid. Be not intimidated by these two smoking tail ends of kindling by the burning anger of Rezan and Aram and the son of Remaliah. Even though Aram has conceived an evil plot against you as has Ephraim, the son of Remaliah, who say, let us invade Judah and stir up trouble there. We will take it for ourselves by force and set a ruler over it, the son of Tabil. Thus say, says the Lord Jehovah, it shall not occur or transpire. For as surely as Damascus is the capital of Aram and Rezin the head of Damascus, within 65 years shall Ephraim be scattered as a nation. But as surely as Samaria is the capital of Ephraim and the son of Remaliah, the head of Samaria, you will not believe it because you are not loyal. Again, Jehovah addressed Ahaz and said, ask a sign for yourself from Jehovah, your God, whether in the depths below or in the heights above. But Ahaz said, I will not. I will not put Jehovah to the test. All right. Is, there a, is that it? Yeah, I said 13, but I I got my verses mixed up. It's just a 12 there. Mm -hmm. So what does that last verse, <laughs> I mean, that's that's a pretty strong statement, right? Um, yeah. Here in uh, verse 11, he's saying that asking for a sign is all right. You know, many times we, we say that it's an idolatrous generation that asks for a sign, etc. We're often discouraged from, from seeking signs, but here it's okay. And he's actually commanded to, to ask for a sign, but in verse 12, but Ahaz says, I will not, I will not put Jehovah to the test. Like that's, <laughs> that's huge because Ahaz is being put to a test, right? He's a test of loyalty here, but he will not put Jehovah to a test. Uh, I think that that's very telling. Uh, what other kind of stories in the scriptures do we see similar phrases or, or similar kind of uh, pushing back against uh, God in, in similar ways? Um, my mind goes to like Laman and Lemuel uh, when Nephi asked him, you know, like, have you inquired of the Lord? No, the Lord doesn't 
talk to us. He doesn't make such things known to us. Um, well, just ask. I mean, what, what harm is there in asking? Uh, here, he's actually commanding him to ask for a sign, but, but denying it thereof. Anyway, it, it's quite powerful. I think Ahaz's rebuttal there, and you just see where it goes from there. Ahaz just goes on a slippery slope. Um, so just real quick, I do want to um, kind of do a little bit of an overview on um, King Ahaz. So this is just from the Wikipedia because it's 100% accurate all the time, right? Um, and I, I learned a, a lot from some of the, the summary here. So Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king of Judah. So, I mean, he's kind of put in some, some big shoes to, to fill here. His, his father was not a, a righteous man, but um, at 20 years old, he assumes the kingdom and he's already got a lot of stuff on his plate. Um, not that I'm trying to make excuses for Ahaz, don't get me wrong, but um, this, is, this is very interesting. It says that immediately upon his accession, Ahaz had to meet a co coalition formed by Northern Israel and from Damascus. These kings wished to compel him to join them in opposing the Assyrians, the, the bigger ones up north, who were arming a force against the northern kingdom. Isaiah counsels Ahaz to trust in God rather than foreign allies and tells him to ask for a sign, but he refuses and um, he gives him a sign anyway. So um, let's see. Yeah, just, just that much. I mean, if you want to go and read the rest of the, the Wikipedia summary on him, it's fine. But um, I think it's very interesting. Like, put yourself in Ahaz's shoes. You assume the kingdom at 20 years old, and you've, you've got a lot of turmoil uh, coming on. Uh, you're part of your family. The northern tribes are, are entering into a pact with, with another ally to overthrow you. And you have this overlooming threat of a, a much bigger uh, capital that they are ruthless. Um, they impale people through the regiment, through their abdomen and hoist them about the city. Uh, they skin people alive. They, they make children gouge out their parents' eyes. They, I mean, they're, they're ruthless. And as a 20 year old leading a, a group of people uh, <laughs> who's supposed to be uh, God fearing people to, um, I don't know, you just have a lot of conundrums to work through. Uh, and again, I'm not trying to make any excuses for Ahaz, but, but that's, that's a lot of weight and, and uh, decisions to, to throw on, on a young ruler. But the Lord wouldn't leave him helpless. He sends him a prophet, one of the greatest prophets ever, to, um, to give him advice and to um, help him through this. And he says that if you're entering into the Davidic covenant, as, as the kings of, of Israel do, um, that you will receive God's protection. You just have to trust in it and you have to, to comply uh, with the, the law and um, with the, the covenants that you've entered into. And uh, I think that that's interesting here where, let's see, in verse three, it says, then Jehovah said to Isaiah, go and meet Ahaz. Uh, you and your son share Jashub at the end of the aqueduct of the upper reservoir. Um, so he's going to the Gihon Spring. And the Gihon Spring is where all of the uh, southern tribes rulers, so from David on, uh, they go to the Gihon Spring to make the Davidic covenant uh, for the people. And so Isaiah is meeting him there where he should have made the, the Davidic covenant and uh, Ahaz is rejecting it uh, out of hand. So I think that that's, that's just very interesting, very telling of, of what's going through Ahaz's mind and, and his life and what he's um, going to, to do from, from here on. Well, it, it shows that he's not trusting in yeah. the Lord. He doesn't have the faith. But, you know, from his background, it'd be hard to... yeah have this faith in this prophet that shows up and tells you you know if you haven't had experience with with that in your life you know is he clearly didn't have that from his family and 
different things, but he, he's showing a lack of faith. Mm -hmm. And so just posing that question to us, um, you know, we might not, I, we might've been raised in the church, whatever, whatever our background is, but when we're confronted with some, some looming obstacles, when we uh, encounter the antichrist, when we um, uh, deal with uh, familial or um, just national uh, drama and persecution, are we trusting in the Lord? Are we listening to the, to the prophets that are sent to us to, to help lead us to God, to hear him? Or do we sometimes just give in and, and oh no, it, we don't have enough faith in the Lord to, to, to have enough trust uh, that he would actually protect us. We don't um, uh, take into account the, the Davidic covenant. We sometimes just kind of to fall away. And does that describe our, our church and, and our time throughout 2020 and 2021? I mean, many people have like, nope. <laughs> I, I'm going to, uh, it's every man for himself. I'm going to save myself kind of thing versus no, just trust in the Lord. He, he has a plan. He'll protect kind of thing. He is always that, protects the righteous. That is that trust and faith in the Lord. And we better stick with that because that, that's, that's what's going to save us. Mm -hmm. Any other path that we take isn't going to save us. Yeah. Yeah, how many people have fallen away from, from the prophet alone just this last year is uh, amazing. Um, so continuing on, uh, verse 13, it says that, Then Isaiah said, Take heed, O house of David. It is not enough for you to try the patience of men. Must you also try the patience of my God? Therefore will my Lord of himself give you a sign. The young woman and child shall give birth to a son and name him Emmanuel. Cream and honey will he eat by the time he has learned to reject what is evil and do what is good. But before the child learns to reject the evil and choose the good, the land whose two rulers you loathe shall lie forsaken. Jehovah will bring upon you and your people and your father's house a day unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah, the day of the king of Assyria. In that day, Jehovah will signal for the flies from the far rivers of Egypt and for the bees in the land of Assyria. And they will come and settle with one accord in the riverbeds and on the prairie and in the rock ravines and by all ditches and watering holes. Uh, in that day, my Lord will use a razor hired at the river, the king of Assyria, to shave your head and your hair of your legs and to cut off even your beard. In that day, a man will keep alive a young cow and a pair of sheep. And because of their plentiful milk, men will eat the cream and all who remain in the land will feed on the cream and honey. In that day, every plot of ground with a thousand vines worth a thousand pieces of currency shall be briars and thorns. Men shall go there with bows and arrows for the whole land shall revert to wilderness. And on all hillsides cultivated by the hoe, you will no longer go for fear of the briars and thorns, but they shall serve as a cattle range, a terrain for sheep to tread down. I mean, that, that's some prophecies right there. <laughs> when Isaiah promised the, the Lord in the previous chapter that he'll go and, and tell the harsh things, he, he meant it. Um, any comments or, or questions or anything on, on seven before we dive yeah, in? Yeah, let's go to where it talks about the razor. Mm-hmm. And what that's talking about, about the slavery and stuff. Uh, yeah, so let's, let's hop over to the commentary. So on Isaiah Explained, we can click over to the Apocalyptic Commentary uh, tab. Sorry for scrolling so fast. Just a second. Okay, so in verse 18, it says that Foreign armies, represented by swarms of flies and bees, invade the land of Jehovah's Day of Judgment, implementing his covenant curse. The king of Assyria is Jehovah's razor. It takes captive the wicked of Jehovah's people, shaving their hair in the manner of slaves. So, I mean, why do we uh, remove the hair of, of the slaves? Uh, usually they're kept in unclean quarters uh, to, uh, to prevent lice and, and disease and all that. Um, they're, they're shaved completely. And so um, taking that plus this next part, 
historically referring to the Euphrates or the river, here characterizes the arch tyrant as Lord Nahar or Lord River, a god of chaos in the Baal myth. The words head and beard allude to the people's leaders, whom the Assyrians exile first as they did anciently, leaving the people leaderless. So not only are there's this slave motif, but there's also a leaderless uh, motif that, I mean, these are both covenantal blessings um, uh, that, that you can remain free without bondage and that you will have righteous leaders um, uh, if you're keeping your covenants. But both of these are, are taken away uh, and represented by that, that razor imagery that's in, in verse 20. Um, so going to Isaiah chapter eight, um, and just kind of diving in, there's, there's a lot of stuff here and I want to, uh, kind of read some of the commentary, get us kind of introduced to, um, how to access those commentaries, etc. Um, when you're in Isaiah explained, clicking on the apocalyptic commentary, you can read it as we're going to do here, <clears throat> or you can click over here on the side and actually listen to Abraham. Chapter eight. The Lord said to me, take a large scroll and write on it. Um, you can listen to, to his commentary there. You can see that um, like this one is, is 20 minutes long. There's a lot more in the audio commentary than there is in the written commentary, but um, it, it's just a little bit more concise and uh, to the point here on, on the page, but there's a lot of gems, so a fun, things in the audio version. I, my mouse is kind of being weird today, sorry. <clears throat> um, Mother, would you read uh, this first part? Jehovah said to me, take a large scroll and write on it in common script, hasten the plunder, hurry the spoil. And I called in reliable witnesses, Uriah the priest and Zechariah, the son of Jeberadiah, to witness for me. Let me continue then. Yeah. Such a brief prophetic message on a large scroll is but the heading to a more expansive prophecy, especially as it is written in common script and thus intended for the common man. Word links to subsequent predictions confirm that it is the king of Assyria who plunders and spoils Jehovah's people. I will commission him against a godless nation to pillage for plunder, to spoliate for spoil. Truthful witnesses will testify that Isaiah predicted these things before they happened so that the people can't claim he said it after the fact. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's interesting that he calls two witnesses to um, for a prophecy. I think that's very interesting. Mm -hmm. um, it says, and when I had been with the prophetess, meaning Isaiah's wife, she conceived and gave birth to a son. And Jehovah said to me, name him Meher Shalal Hashbaz, for before, before the child shall know how to say father and mother, the wealth of Damascus, and the plunder of Samaria will be brought before the king of Assyria. So Isaiah's newborn son receives the name of the same pretending words Isaiah writes on the scroll. Meher shalal hashbaz, hasten the plunder, hurry the spoil. The king of Assyria fulfills Isaiah's prediction to Ahaz concerning Ephraim shattering as a nation, even during this child's infancy. In his writings, Isaiah depicts this Syria as a hostile superpower from the north that sets a precedent for conquering the world by military force. In that sense, ancient Assyria serves as a type of end-time superpower that repeats this scenario. I mean, I, I've heard the, the Meher Shalal Hashbaz before, and I was just like, I don't know, that's, that's some weird Bible stuff when I was growing up. But, but now it's, it's starting to make sense. Uh, I hope that it's all kind of coming together for everyone, too, that... Um, uh, Laura asked me in, in the first one before we even started class, she's like, so are you starting to understand Isaiah better? Is it all kind of getting clearer? <laughs> and honestly, with that question, it was like, yeah, 
yeah, I'm, I'm starting to finally kind of uh, come to grips with, with Isaiah and, and understand some of the things um, that have always just been total mysteries to me. I've never, ever understood um, half of this stuff. But So if Assyria, scroll back down. if Assyria is the hostile superpower from the north right that's Mm going to conquer the world by military force um it's a it's a type for the end times Mm -hmm. who is Assyria who (laughs) is who is this in our time Mm -hmm. what do you think (laughs) that's an interesting question Janet in the first one uh tried to nail me down on it too she's like okay so who's uh who's isaiah who's ahaz who's this who's that and stuff and i want answers i want names <laughs> well, you know just who do you think you know i'm not there's, I'm a, not there's a lot of definitive right i mean we know um egypt represents the united states and you know promised land here and everything like that we we are egypt we were the superpower of the world right yeah. obviously not so much anymore um, most of the world is laughing at us right now, yeah. but I think that's part of what has to come, right? So that this superpower, the Syria, is going to feel like they are able to come in and and take us, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, who is that? Who is going to be a Syria? Exactly. In between our, our classes, me and my mom were were trying to like hash that out and, and look at the different possibilities. So if we're taking Israel um, and applying it to America, um, mm-hmm. we have the, the northern tribes and the southern tribes that have split uh, different ideologies, different uh, mindsets there. Who, who does that look like? It's like, okay, mm-hmm. so we've got some political parties, maybe some, some different ideologies. Um, and the, the ones are, uh, the, the northern tribes are uh, making... Uh, secret treaties with uh, with another country to, to bring about the ruin of of the other mm-hmm. and and stuff so we, we have those kind of themes running but then we have this overlooming Assyria part and it's like ooh, who who's that how does that play into things um but don't you think this king of Assyria isn't that the antichrist yeah the king of Assyria mm-hmm. antichrist yeah so we know that the, the antichrist is going to be coming from the north right if it follows this pattern yeah if it follows patterns <laughs> i don't know i don't know i'm kind of like avraham on it as well like uh i don't want to put any names but i mean if we're looking at things uh, according to the pattern i I don't know. I, well, well, who, you know, like who are the big bad actors, right? We have the Russians, we have the Chinese, we have the Iranians, right? Yeah. Koreans. So, you know, North Koreans from the North. Oh, from the North. <laughs> I, I, I can't imagine that a leader from North Korea is going to be yeah, greatly but... welcomed in by most of the people. Um, yeah. You know, so you have to, you have to look at that kind of thing if you're, if you're going to, take this the antichrist is actually coming from whatever invading country and then i'm not sure of i think the antichrist is actually going to come from the um the the gadiantans right the the gadiantans of yeah right i think that's where from that um that kind of uh secret combinations Mm -hmm. but i think the secret combinations are going to work with these other countries to to bring about um, the ruin of the United States. That is what they want. They want to divvy it all up. So the question then, you know, we, we just kind of should keep an eye out if we understand that Isaiah is also talking about our day. You know, we need to keep an eye out for all these things. And at what point in time are we in this? Mm-hmm. You know, because, exactly. you know, Meher Shalah Hashbaz, um, he, before he knows how to say mother or father, how old is that? A year old, 18 months, mm-hmm. right? I, my, my granddaughter is 11 months right now and she's kind of saying Nana or, or mama and papa or you know, that kind of thing. So, um, you know, a year, two years, if you want to be more, you know, specific, interesting 
All right. Just just things to think about. I like to throw out things and make you ponder. Yeah, I, I love it because in, in the interim, we we definitely pegged down who Ahaz was and and who Peking and Remelia were, etc. And then it's okay, like, okay, so who oh. do you think Ahaz is? Who's Ahaz? So, so this whole Meher Shal Hashbaz being 18 months, a couple of years old, it's like, oh, that changes things up a little. So who's Ahaz? <laughs> who do you think Ahaz is? <laughs> Don't quote me on stuff, but I think Ahaz is Trump, but uh, I don't know. Fill it out. See what it. That's interesting. Yeah, I you know I I am not an expert. This is my first time through Isaiah, so I could be totally wrong. I, but um, when you replace Ahaz with Trump and mm-hmm. uh, Isaiah with President Nelson, the story kind of fits. I don't know. Take it for what it's worth. You can do a side study, but <laughs> well, you know, Ahaz could just be a placeholder for the president of the United States, right? Yeah. Doesn't yeah. have to be a, the a specific because I mean, if you look at at where we are right now, our our current president is even less likely to want to have any kind of um, commitment with God. Yeah. Right. Then. Exactly than trump did so you know i think a lot of people you know wanted to make uh a lot of it about about trump all the time maybe it's just his personality um but i i think if we look at that and we look at what ahaz said right you know hey we're we're gonna do this but ahaz was not um he wasn't willing to make a commitment a religious commitment right yeah um and if we see anything from Isaiah, he always uses composites. I mean, it's it's mm-hmm. rarely just like a one-to-one, uh, this person is this person, but a uh, conglomerate or composite. Right, right. So yeah. I think a lot of that is, you know, and and um, in Avraham's commentary on the last chapter, he talks about his disloyalty and inability to believe Jehovah's word. You know, Biden yeah. is supposedly a catholic and he's so disloyal to even what he supposedly believes that the catholics are saying no we're not going to let you take communion because you're not following what it is that you say you believe and what we believe mm-hmm. you know you see what i'm saying so there yeah. there might be something of that maybe there's some composite in that mm-hmm. um but the the time frame you know it yeah. bring it a lot of times we like to study a book of scripture and go, okay, I, I think I know everything, but all the different things that we study, we need to interconnect them all and, and pick the piece of the puzzle from here and another from here and another yeah. from somewhere else. And then we get a clearer picture. Um, so, you know, it just may, it has may just be the, um, the president. But I, Isaiah, I could totally see being, you know, President Nelson is Isaiah. I, I don't want him sawed in half, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he's um, not popping out any Mayher Shell hash buzzes, but no, no, that, he's that not. imagery kind of thing. It's very interesting. But I he is talking about, you know, making commitments with the Lord and letting God yeah. prevail and, you know, all of those kinds of things. So, um, <laughs> But what? But I don't know. <laughs> in this Ahaz story, though, you know, you got the the south and the north, and then you got Damascus, and that and Damascus is an outsider. They're not part of the, you know, United States, and so it seems like that could be China, because we're um, the the liberals are making a lot of, what do you say? How do I say that? But they're siding with China in a lot of ways and stuff. And so that kind of seemed to come into play. And the reason we kind of chose Trump as Ahaz, but it's just, you know, it's just all of this is just theory. Yeah, yeah. But um, like Trump did visit with, with President Nelson when he came to Salt Lake. They had a good visit and stuff. So you could see they may have, 
that that President Nelson may have, you know, um, talked to him about this, and he, and Trump is one to just um, kind of go it alone, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, he likes to have the praise and the. I mean, I like Trump and stuff, but I mean, he, I can see him maybe rejecting this. But where Biden. He didn't even go to Salt Lake, didn't they? He sent, anyway, wasn't it Mrs. Biden that went to Salt Lake? Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, it, but like, I get what you're saying where it's a probably a composite. It's probably all of the presidents. Mm -hmm. Yeah, start, maybe start, uh, you know, a little bit of Trump at the beginning and, you know, who knows? Yeah, the story is a, a long one, and so how it plays out there. And yeah. then, as we'll dive into the Hezekiah story with compliance next week, then trying to uh, to fit what we just talked about into that scenario too, it, it it's going to be interesting. I I because that was just um, last class and in between classes that we were kind of thinking mm -hmm. about it. Give it a week and and how it marinates and what we can can dream up there we'll, we'll get some good opinions next week i think we did i think we did better at coming up with who the eagle heads are <laughs> that one seems right yeah i think studying out ezra's eagle with uh chapter seven here or chapter eight is mm -hmm. is crucial but anyway let, let's continue with with chapter eight <laughs> um <laughs> Let's see, we got verse three. All right, so verse five. So Jehovah addressed me again and said, because these people have rejected the waters of Shiloh, which flow gently and rejoice in resin and the son of Remaliah, therefore will my Lord cause to come up over them the great and mighty waters of the river, the king of Assyria in all his glory. He will rise up over all his channels and overflow all his banks. So as Jehovah had warned Ahaz, so he warns Ahaz's people. By calling them these people or this people, Jehovah disavows their covenantal status. Like if he was referring to them as my people, they would still be under the, the covenant. But um, as Ahaz proved disloyal to Jehovah, so Ahaz's people proved disloyal to Ahaz. They favor the coalition of northern kings over the waters of Shaloa, which flow gently. That is, over the Davidic dynasty, Jehovah has appointed to rule over them. For conspiring to re replace Ahaz, they will suffer worse than his rule, the rampaging river flooding beyond its borders, the king of Assyria at the height of his military power. Now, after hearing that, I can definitely see the parallels that you're talking about, you know, with Ahaz and Trump, right? Because... Mm -hmm people conspiring to replace you're going to get worse mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> I, I i see that okay I, I see where you're coming from yeah but again it's just theory like mm -hmm. uh i was uh listening to avraham's uh, near-death experience uh, 24 thing um he was saying now when you start studying isaiah don't teach it for at least two years until you have a good grasp on it because you might be throwing out wild things or, or you might be <laughs> misinterpreting Isaiah. I'm totally uh, in, in danger of that. So <laughs> these are just wild opinions as a, a, a newbie person to, to Isaiah. Yeah. <laughs> I always but, have to preface my stuff. I, I think that's kind of what we're doing here though, right? We're having mm -hmm. a discussion where we can um, get ideas and bounce ideas off of each other. That doesn't mean, hey, this is the way it is or that's the way it is. Even with Avraham's stuff, it's not yeah. the end all be all. Yeah, exactly. We have to just kind of go to the the Lord, uh, listen to, to him as, as we're reading scriptures, etc. But I, I love studying with a group to get some of these things. Like, I don't know if I, I only thought things, I would never be able to, to bounce ideas off of each other. It's, it's fun always uh, talking about it. Um, let's see. And then mother, would you read eight minutes? Yes. He will sweep into Judea like a flood and passing through, uh, reach the very neck. His outspread wings will span the breadth of your land. 
O Emmanuel. Isaiah portrays a serious invasion of the land of Emmanuel as a new flood. His prophecy is fulfilled in the days of King Hezekiah, the prophesied uh, Emmanuel, when an army of 185,000 Assyrians besieges Jerusalem after Assyria has destroyed all peoples and their land. The neck leaves the head, Zion slash Jerusalem, where a remnant of Jehovah's people await deliverance. In an end time context, Hezekiah serves as a type of Jehovah's servant, while the arch tyrant's outspread wings may allude to modern warfare. Okay, so we're not going to have time to read the entire thing, but I wanted to quickly do a word search on the, the waters and, and the rivers here. So as we look at Isaiah explained, if we go over to the interactive concordance, um, we, we see waters being uh, talked about lots throughout this chapter. Um, but if you click on any of those, they are links to the concordance here where we can see all the times that that Hebrew word is used throughout the book of Isaiah. So I wanted to kind of just take a, a quick word search through um, these and kind of see what we can learn about waters in the whole context of Isaiah, not just uh, this chapter alone. So just kind of taking a look at a few of them. Um, we, in, in chapter eight, we talked about the waters of Shiloa that flow gently, um, the great and mighty waters of um, the, the king of Assyria that, that's going to come and, and drown people uh, up, to the, up to the head, up to the neck. Um, let's look at uh, some of these others. Sorry, my computer's kind of being a little slow here. Um, in chapter 11, uh, just a few chapters ahead, it's going to talk about there shall be no harm or injury done throughout my holy mountain, for the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of Jehovah, as the oceans are overspread with waters. In chapter 15, it talks about the waters of Nimrim shall be desolate, the, the grass shall dry up and vegetation disappear, and no green foliage shall remain. Uh, another body of waters, although the waters of Dibbon shall flow with blood, yet will I impose more than this upon Dibbon. I will bring lions upon the fugitives of Moab and upon all those who remain in the land. So we're seeing lots of different bodies of water being uh, referenced. In ver or chapter 17, woe to the many people in an uproar who rage like the raging of the seas tumultuous nations in commotion like the turbulence of mighty waters. Nations may roar like the roaring of great waters, but when, the rebuke, when he rebukes them, they will flee far away and they will be driven before the wind like chaff on the mountains or as a whirling dust in a storm. Uh, chapter 19, the waters of the lakes shall ebb away as stream beds become desolate and dry. So, um, we have lots of different uh, water imagery, but mostly it's, it's a, a destructive uh, type of uh, metaphor that, that keeps getting used. Um, uh, sometimes it, it deals with the actual king of Assyria, the Antichrist. Uh, sometimes it is um, a, a calming water of, of Shiloa, but, but very rarely it, it's usually a, a chaos motif. Um, the, the sea usually represents worldly things uh, in Hebrew uh, symbolism or uh, uh, thought patterns. And so uh, we can see that, that the Lord uses other people to bring about the covenantal curses that uh, people merit. Uh, the Lord doesn't just come down and, and smite people personally uh, with a sword or, or anything, but he lets the wicked destroy the wicked or the, yeah. the inhabitants of the earth, sometimes even covenantal people who have fallen away to uh, bring about the covenant curses that uh, people merit. 
uh, based upon their, their wickedness. And so um, the waters represent the, the people of the earth. Uh, sometimes they're covenant people, sometimes they're uh, just uh, Gentiles. But, um, but the waters are, are typifying the, the Lord's hand, the, how um, gentle flowing waters can turn into these, these great streams that can be very destructive. Um, water is very necessary, right? I mean, we need to drink water to survive. Our bodies are made up of water. Our earth is water. But um, uh, in abundance and great movement or commotion, they can be very destructive. Um, uh, how things are, are good, but uh, can be used for, for evil in, in the right circumstance. <laughs> and so, lack, of, mm-hmm. lack of water as well, like drought and stuff. Yeah, exactly. One of the um, references in that is from Isaiah 43, 2. Mm-hmm. And I, if, um, if waters are that destructive influence, maybe a tribulation or a trial or something, listen to this. When you cross the waters, I will be with you. When you traverse the rivers, you shall not be overwhelmed. Think about that promise in the context of if waters is some kind of a trial or tribulation. And that promise that the Lord has just given. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that we'll be able to actually traverse those things. It's not that we're going to be spared from them. Uh, right. Not like I, we're still going to have to go through trials and tribulations, but we'll be right. able to, to kind of float above them through through the Lord kind of thing. You we're, have to cross the waters. You still have yeah. to cross the waters. You still have Probably. to go through that yeah. tribulation. But when we when we traverse the rivers, we will not be overwhelmed. We're not going to drown. We're not going to you know, be overcome, we, it might be difficult, but we'll make it through and the Lord will be with us. Yeah. You brought about the the best one there. I, there was just a lot of references. And so I was like, well, I'll just pick the first ones. Oh, that's the one that like is perfect. It sums it all up there. <laughs> well, I was just looking through it. I was like, oh, this one's great. This one's great. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. I, I love the word searches. That's something that Avraham says is absolutely crucial to the understanding of Isaiah to take words and follow them through the entire book of Isaiah and, and see what they, they mean in their context. Um, nothing is placed in there by happenstance or, or just willy-nilly. He uses every single word um, very poignantly, very purposefully where they're at, etc. cetera. Um, and so what he says uh, to do, uh, it's absolutely crucial that you take at least 20 minutes a day and do word searches throughout Isaiah. And so I... <laughs> I'm not doing so well, but I, I'm trying to do that. <laughs> do word searches and uh, use the concordance to to really see what these words mean. Uh, they're they're very powerful when we uh, can put them in context and, and see what Isaiah is talking about. But anyway, so last the last two weeks we talked about ruin and rebirth, and then we have um, the the next part of the the chiasm that builds upon the first where we're talking about rebellion and compliance. And he gives us these two key figures, Ahaz and Hezekiah, to show us that we are the ones that choose if we are to be ruined or if we want to be reborn. And based upon uh, our rebellion or compliance, we we can do so. Uh, Ahaz, not a perfect example to follow, (laughs) but if we uh, can learn from King Ahaz's story, and then apply that for next week when we uh, really dive into King Hezekiah's uh, life and ministry, we can see the flip side. And um, just by putting our faith and trust in Jehovah, we can, um, like it said about the waters, we can um, still cross over the, the tribulations, these, these many waters, but uh, not be consumed by them. Uh, we can can have those blessings. But um, anyway, there's there's a lot of uh, stuff to, to study on this it's just going to kind of come down to uh, to everyone's personal time in in the scriptures isaiah takes a lot of effort uh to, to really uh, dive in and, and learn some of this stuff because it's it's hard to flesh it all out in, in <laughs> one hour as a group but uh, i've really enjoyed our time and lots of different insights and uh things to to think about our own personal connections to these stories and, and how we can apply them for the last days um how we can uh, take these examples and, and see them in the world around us, where we're at on these timelines, how we can better uh, navigate ourselves and our families through uh, what's coming. It, it, 
it's so amazing that that the Lord cares enough about us in the, the end times that he's given us the words of Isaiah to, to use as the pattern. Uh, it, it's very comforting. Uh, we're not just left to our own devices and, and to our uh, to our own thing. We're, we've, we've got lots of, of help to, to, to navigate the patterns. But yeah, any last comments, thoughts, concerns? Was this uh, approach to uh, the scriptures um, helpful? Should we keep doing that from week to week? Um, I know that, you know, taking like Isaiah decoded or our Abraham book, where we just each read the chapter and then come together to discuss is very different than actually studying verses of scripture. Uh, Was that helpful? Do we do it differently? Just how do you want to approach it in the future? Um, I want to make sure that this is, this is good and fun for everybody that we're, we're all learning. Well, I I think if maybe we all, um, committed to reading, um, not only reading what Isaiah is, has, um, but Avraham's commentary on it or listening to his commentary and then look for things that stand out to us. And then spend more time actually discussing the different things and the concepts of the things that stand out to us. Yeah. Um, be and and see how that see how that goes because that's where we end up having our discussion, right? Yeah. And and sometimes um, it's a little boring just reading all of the verses straight through. Yeah. Actually, although I think it's a little helpful because then even though I've read it or listened to it myself, it's kind of helpful to be in the context as we discuss Mm -hmm. i kind of like how you're doing it but Mm -hmm. i'm open to however you decide Mm -hmm. yeah and reading like three different chapters tonight was was a little long (laughs) yeah you know maybe we could just do like one chapter of that or something well i think we would need to we would need to include that context in whatever it is we're discussing right Mm -hmm. hey here's here's the verses here's the context of of this did you catch this in what Avraham was saying, or did you catch this in, in your studies or what stood mm-hmm. out to you and what was the context of it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, good point. Yep, yep. Well, it's been fun. I, I'm excited for, for next week. King Hezekiah is one of my, my favorite stories. Uh, really diving into that and studying it in this context is gonna be fun. Um, anyway, uh, look forward to, to next week. <laughs> it be awesome. All right. We'll we'll see everyone uh, later. (laughs) Have a great week. Bye.